Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue working through God's Word. Currently, we're in a series in the book of Ephesians talking about rags to riches. On today's podcast, I have the opportunity to share from chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Now, if you're looking for a church home and live in northwest Arkansas, let me invite you to check out Calvary Baptist Church in Fayetteville. You can find more information at calvaryfayetteville.com or you can call us at 479-442-4634. You can also email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. Let's listen together as I share a message entitled, Gifts Toward Maturity. Well, again, we're in Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians for a while, and guess what? We're probably going to be in Ephesians for a little while longer. Uh, But we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Now, if you've been following along with us in our series through this letter to the Ephesians, you may immediately be thinking, wait a minute, we missed some verses. He didn't finish through verse 6. And he talked about it. And if you realize that, you're right. As Pastor Kirk and I mapped out what section I'd be sharing from in Ephesians, knowing this trip was coming up for him, I'd be sharing this. Um... And we thought it was going to be seamless, but it's not, and that's okay. Um, Next week, he should be filling in the gaps. So if you're leaving, you know, want your notes in sequence, I know that's going to cause all sorts of fits for you OCD people, but just want to let you know that he'll be filling in that gap, and it's an important gap because there is a real important transition that is happening here as we go from chapter 3 to chapter (coughs) 4. Beginning in chapter 4, we begin the practical application of the truth that Paul has been teaching us in chapters 1 through 3. And that's the pattern that Paul maps out much of his writings. The first half is doctrinal, the second half is application. And Ephesians is no different. In fact, verse 1 of chapter 4 uses that important word as we interpret and look for answers in Scripture. It's a simple word, therefore. Verse Chapter, or chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And whether it was our classes at Central Baptist College or all along the way, I've always been taught that I needed to know what the therefore was there for. Okay? And so you need to look back and you need to think about what we've been studying as we look at how we're going to apply those truths to our lives. That, therefore, it shapes how we interpret a passage and keeps us focused on biblical answers. Now, Paul doesn't just seek to apply the biblical and theological truth that he shared in chapters 1 through 3. According to Warren Wiersbe, he draws definite parallels between those two sections. Chapters 1 through 3 talks about our wealth as believers. And then chapters 4 through 6 discusses our walk. And so we've been looking at all this great stuff that God has given us, this wonderful relationship we have with him, this wealth, not just of information or of knowledge, but a wealth that's found in that relationship. And so chapters 4 through 6, we're going to spend time talking about our walk. What do we do about those things that we believe? Now, chapter 1 speaks of being called by grace to belong to his body, Um, and in verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, we talk about a walk worthy of your calling, the unity of the body. 
And so those things are in parallel. So as you think back on this passage, after this message, if you want to look back in your notes from chapter 1, spend some time there meditating on it this week, that might be helpful as you think about what's next. As we think about this this passage of Scripture, as we think about uh, this book of the Bible, you know, knowing the shape of the conversation helps us to better understand what God wants us to know and wants us to live out. So with all this in mind, we want to dive into the practical side of Ephesians by looking at chapter 4, verses 7 through 16 today. As we start today, we want to start by thinking about the idea of gifts. For some of us here, giving gifts is your love language. That's how you express love, you care about people, and I have been the recipient of some of those gifts. My, my son's future mother-in-law, I think I got all those words right, it, her love language is gift-giving. She gives just generously and over in abundance. This past Christmas, um, we received, no, it was actually Christmas before. You know, we just saved them because we didn't have a party, but we received a package of napkins. Okay, that's all right. But they had her name on it. I mean, that's, that's the type of person she is. She just loves to give specialized gifts, gifts of love. Um, and that may be your, your love language. Like I said, I've re- been the recipient. Somebody, and I don't know if it was somebody here or somebody else I know, I still don't know, I had in my mailbox a few months back a gift card to Marketplace just randomly showed up. And if it's one of you, thank you. And if it's not one of you, well, thank you anyway. (laughs) And so it's just this idea of gifts. And so uh, as we think about gifts, many of us just think about gifts with this two different times during the course of the year. We think about birthdays, I got to get gifts, and then Christmas time. Now, I want to ask you a question. When you think of Christmas, what type of person are you? Some of you may already be thinking about Christmas. You may be already thinking about your shopping. You may have already started that. I know that my friends, Wade and Joanna Allen, Christmas for them begins September 1. Now, for us, that's not normal. But in the Philippines, that was a standard thing. When they lived there for 12 years as missionaries, That was the culture. They got used to that. And so on September 1, they kick off with either Christmas music or Christmas movies and spend some time enjoying that. You know, and it seems, again, it seems odd to us, but that was the culture. Now, for for some of you, you want to simply wait until sometime after October 31st, okay? There's just something in our brain that doesn't seem to work when you see a pumpkin and a Christmas tree in the same setting. But, lo and behold, I went to Lowe's last night to get gas for my mower, and there they are, the Christmas decorations already out, already set to go. So it starts me thinking about those things a little bit. But again, it's strange to think about Christmas while I see costumes and Halloween candy dominating the aisles. Others of you may wait until Thanksgiving is complete and the sales have already kicked in, and there may be a handful of you that wait until Christmas is just 24 hours away. Not going to name names or anything like that. Uh, but it is important for us to think about as we talk about gifts, because that's what we're looking at. Today we're talking about gifts toward maturity. When we think about ki- Christmas, we think about gift giving. It's a part of it. And gifts are unusual things. Sometimes 
Christmas gifts serve no real purpose in this world. I think about, if you look in my office, I have a couple of shelves full of nerdy stuff, but over half of that stuff has been given to me. Now, does that stuff serve any purpose in this world? Not really. I enjoy it. I like to see it. My daughter bought me a Superman, the lowest statue that's about this big. It's the one that, when they broke into the office a couple years back, got shattered. Um, you know, there's those gifts, they're meaningful, they're enjoyable, but they don't serve a purpose. Now, the other difference is, say, during Christmas time when my wife and I decide we're going to buy ourselves a vacuum. And that may not sound very fun, but guess what? We love our vacuum, and we spent more on it because that was a gift to one another. And you may do the same sort of thing. That gift very much has a purpose. At the time, we had two dogs that shed all the time. Now we've gone hypoallergenic dogs. They don't shed at all. It's still wonderful, but we still love our vacuum. But it was definitely a gift with a purpose. <coughs> There have been other gifts like that, those gifts with purpose. A new phone, a mixer for the kitchen. And you may have a little list yourself of things that you've bought with a purpose. You see, God gives gifts with purpose. Yes, there are things that are simply enjoyed in our lives, but think about the great gifts that God has given. He has given us salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is a gift from God. We think about Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has given salvation, not just so that we could enjoy it. It was with purpose. It gives us eternal life. It allows us to glorify Him. He gives us peace. If you look in John 14, 27, we understand that this idea that he gives us uh, this wonderful peace. He gives us hope in 1 Peter 1, 3, and he gives us God-breathed word as a means to change us in 2 Timothy 3, 16. You see, all of these are for his glory. There is a purpose behind all of those gifts. And today, as we walk through our text, we need to understand that God has given gifts of people and roles within his church for the maturity of his body. And while we benefit in all of these things, he is the one that receives glory as the church is built up. These are gifts with a purpose. They are gifts toward maturity. So let's begin by looking at our text, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. There the Bible says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led hosts of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also descended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things." And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint in which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the direction and hope and strength and correction and and so many other things that it provides for us. I just ask in these moments as we look in your word that you will give us what we need, that you will give us willing spirits ready to say yes and to obey. Father, especially as we look at the second half of of this book, Father, help us to be a church that's ready to walk in a way and in a manner that is worthy of the calling that we have received in you. Father, help us to be your church. Help us to to lean on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our passage mentioned gifts more than once as we step through these verses Paul writes that God gave these for the benefit of the body. You know, we sometimes give gifts. We'll give somebody a gym membership. That's for the benefit of their body, whether or not they use it. We may give them a bike so that they will exercise, or we may give them running shoes so they'll get out the door and do those things. Well, these gifts that we find specifically in verse 11, um, these gifts have an important purpose. See, there are two types of gift often, gifts often described in Scripture. There are the spiritual gifts. We can find a list in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11, and 27 through 31, and then also in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. These are gifts that we receive when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are gifted, a spiritual gift. Some have the gift of mercy. Some have the gift of shepherding. Some have the gift of administration. Some have the gift of teaching. These are spiritual gifts. And that list is a little flexible. Some people see it as having broader and some see it as having a little bit more narrow. I'd encourage you to, to look back at those verses in 1 Corinthians and then in Romans to kind of take a look at that. But here we find this other gift that we're referring to today, this idea of scriptural roles within the church. Here Paul focuses on the gifts of scriptural roles for the church and how that can bring about maturity for the body. See, it's important for us to understand why God gives us preachers and teachers and shepherds and evangelists. Why does he do those things? Well, he does that for the sake of the body. So let's start by looking at those roles. In verse 11, we see five specific people mentioned. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, some of you may have known a preacher or two over the years that may have thought that they were God's gift to that church or that they were God's gift to preaching. And while they may have had the wrong attitude, the simple truth is that God gives us preachers and teachers and shepherds and pastors for a purpose. They are God's gift to us. Pastor Kirk is a gift to us, 
to help us mature and help us grow. That is God's plan. The scriptural roles of the church are given so that the church may be built up. While those, fill, those that fill the roles can sometimes get puffed up because they hold a special role in the church, it doesn't change the truth that God has given these roles for the benefit of the body. Now, it begins with, with two that we don't hear about much, the apostles and the prophets. I mean, we know what they are from, from Scripture. If we look back in Scripture, we can see those things. They're, they're mentioned earlier in the book, um, in the book of Ephesians here, and they're a foundational gifts to the church. The apostles included the twelve who had had the office of apostleship by virtue of being with Christ and having been appointed by him. But apostles also included others who were recognized as apostles, apostles such as James and Barnabas and Junius and possibly Silas and Timothy and, and Apollos. This latter group had the gift of apostleship, but not the apostolic office, as did the twelve and Paul. Apostles, then, were those who carried the gospel message with God's authority. An apostle simply means one sent as an authoritative delegate. The New Testament prophets were gifts to the church to provide edification, exhortation, and comfort, and they probably revealed God's will to the church when the biblical canon was incomplete. Since the apostles and prophets were foundational, they did not exist after that first generation of believers. That's how we handle that. That's how we, what we believe um, is that these were offices that held a specific time frame. And we're not going to come across a prophet. We're not going to come across an apostle. Um, though there are some other offices that we see today. Now, as we go through our list, we also see the evangelists. Now, in days gone by, and I'm sure this church had them before I came here and before Pastor Kirk, but you had revival services. In fact, I remember coming to one, sitting about right there and listening to Kenneth Bobo uh, share, and he was the evangelist for the week, and he preached. And, um, you know, and so we have this kind of preconceived idea of what an evangelist is. It's someone who comes in and does a series of services, but that's not really what they're referring to. An evangelist here were those engaged in spreading the gospel. So if we want to compare them to something in more modern day, we might think of missionaries. These are the evangelists carrying the gospel to the unreached peoples of the world. Then he goes on and shares that the gifts include the shepherds and the teachers. And these two uh, different commentators said that there may be one office, there may be two. But pastors and teachers are listed together because they are governed by one article. The, the there occurs before the pastors and not before the teachers because the word and differs from the other. Um, it's just this idea that they're probably referred to two characteristics of the same person. So one who is pastoring believers is also the one who is instructing them. That's the type of role that the pastor Kurt holds. That's the type of role that I, uh, that I have here at the church as one of the, the pastors. We're to shepherd, we're to instruct, we're to, to teach. Again, these roles are so that one group of people, uh, these, grow, these roles are, so, are not so that one group of people can have power over the other or just to be enjoyed by those blessed to serve. They're given with a purpose. That's what we need to understand. These, these roles, these positions, these places are gifts from God. 
So why? Why give the gifts this way? Well, why give the gifts? First of all, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If we look in the next verse, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. To equip the saints for the work of the, the ministry, this statement tells us the purpose of the pastoral role. It is to equip the saints for ministry. That is the primary task that Pastor Kirk and I have within this church. That is the role of a pastor. We are to help you serve the king and the kingdom. Now, we are supposed to also serve the king and the kingdom in that process, but our job as a pastor here in this church is to do just that, to equip you, to help you serve. Part of that equipping comes from example, part of that comes from planning, and part of that is, and the biggest part, comes from teaching and sharing the word through avenues within the church. How do we do that? Well, we do that from this pulpit. Pastor Kirk will share, he'll preach, he, we are to be equipped from those messages. We also share during our times with our, our Sunday school, with our faithful men and faithful women groups. Those are times where we're being equipped so that we can do the work of the ministry. That means, and what this means really with Pastor Kirk and I especially, that means when one of our people are sick or in the hospital, the pastor's voice should simply be one of many that check on that hurting individual. It's not just Pastor Kirk's job. It's not just my job. It's your job too. God has called us all to serve and all to grow. We are to equip and we're to all do the ministry. That means evangelizing the lost is the job of all within the body. That means reaching our neighbors and our neighborhood is the task of all of us. It's not that the pastors in a church are hired guns to go out there and do gospel ministry. All of us are required to do that. Specifically here, the pastor's job, the shepherd and teacher, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, the job of pastors is to focus in on prayer and the ministry of the Word so that they can seek to equip the saints. That's you, that's me, that's us, for the work of ministry. There are many other duties that a modern pastor spends their time doing. I think about my ministry here. Um, it is quite diverse, especially during these pandemic months. We've had to navigate going digital. We've had to make choices regarding the physical health of our congregation. We've had to learn to teach in new ways that we were never instructed about at Central Baptist College or at the seminary. It just The idea of doing a one-minute lesson for our students through Instagram, that, that was never in my thinking. Having to uh, facilitate a group on Zoom so that you can figure out the lag and all of those things. And I know technology changes, but it's just such a different world. And so we've had to navigate some of those things and worked and to help the church do that. Who would have thought that our prayer meeting would be online, that we would be able to do that and, and to make it happen? Now, during the course of a week, I may be dealing not just with those things, but I may be dealing with Potter's House and Camp War Eagle using our facility. I may have to let the... Um, air conditioning guys in and keep track of where they're at on their job. To, I have to make sure that our social media outreach is continuing. 
And while all of those things are important, all those other jobs, they have to be done and they need to be done, and that's a part of what I do here. And I, I, There are times I love it. There are times I don't love it. I'll just be completely honest. While all those things are important, they pale in comparison with the pastor's role of prayer and the Word. The ministry of prayer and the Word is the primary task of the pastor. So again, our job as pastors is to equip the body for the work of ministry. That has to be a priority. The second thing that we find is, is from this gift of God, and these different roles, these different offices, is that they are given to build up the body of Christ. The gifts of Scripture roles are given to build up the local body of Christ in those times of teaching and equipping. The church learns to strengthen one another and fulfill the big list of other one another's that we've discussed over the years. When we work to fulfill those things, the local congregation is strengthened and can have a greater impact for the kingdom. That's the reason we have a, a shepherd teacher role. That's the reason we have evangelists. That's the reason the early church had the apostles and the prophets. All of those were designed so that the local church would be stronger and more work could be done for the kingdom. Our outreach is shaped by our strength and maturity as a body. Do we love one another? Do we show care for one another? Do we express, express unity as a group? The world, the world sees those things. They know what's going on. A church lacking those things will rarely have any sort of lasting impact. But with maturity, things can be different. One of the worst things that a new pastor ever wants to hear when he goes to a new church is, and he goes out in the community and says, if somebody asks, well, what do you do? And say, well, I'm pastoring this church down here. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that, you just don't, that's not what, but that can happen if the reputation is bad. I think second just to that, bad reputation is no reputation. Oh, I don't even know where that church is. I've never heard of that. God calls us to be a lighthouse for the gospel to share with people, to show them Jesus, and all of that comes out, flows out of this idea of being built up for the work of the ministry. It brings us to our third why for these gifts uh, towards, uh, towards maturity. It's to guide the body toward maturity and toward spiritual growth. In a culture where standards and beliefs seem to be a moving target, it is vital that we grow in our faith and understanding of God's Word. We have to be ready to give a defense for our faith in which we believe. Do we all have to be apologists? You know, those type of men who stand up and, and preach and, and can defeat uh, with our words all those others? No. However, we should be ready to discuss the hard things in loving ways. We can't deny the fact of what the Bible teaches about marriage about sexuality, about understandings of gender and racial issues. Those are just a few of the things that we have to navigate in our world right now. And so we have these different roles here listed within the church so that we will be ready for that, so that we will be able to, to stand firm in the midst of this really strange and difficult world. Now, we need to be able to stand for our faith. But do we need to go looking for a fight on social media? No. Again, let me stress that. We don't need to go looking for a fight on social media. 
However, we do need to be ready to address the tough issues and not to be blown to and fro like a piece of paper caught in the wind. Have you ever tried to catch your, get a receipt that blows out of your bag? You know you got to have it because you might be taking that piece of clothing back, but all of a sudden it blows out of your bag as you're getting in your vehicle and the chase is on. You've got to have it. That's that idea of to and fro. Also, they, you may have remember seeing a commercial several years ago back. It was Super Bowl. It was about herding cats. I mean, this great big, you know, the stampede of cats that was going on. And I've always thought herding cats, just trying to herd my one little new dog is, is a big pain. And I'm ready to give them away. Anybody want a little have-a-poo? So, oh, maybe Temple's listening. We don't want her to know that. Well, God calls us to maturity, and that is why he has given us pastors, he's given us teachers, so that we'll be ready for the storms of fear and doubt as they assail us. Are you growing? Are you allowing Sunday school, worship, and life group times to mold you? Are you allowing the leaders that God has placed in your life to help you reach the level of maturity that God is seeking? Is that a priority to you? Or is it just something that you come to church because you know you're supposed to, you fulfill those duties, and boom, I've checked it off my list. What does that look like for you? This pandemic has hit us all hard, but there are some that have simply walked away from the faith and from their faith family. There are those that are currently just being tossed about by the winds of culture. We've lost our footing. Many in the Christian faith have lost their footing and not sure what to do and a lot of them has just said, well, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to walk away. God calls us to maturity and spiritual growth. Are we willing to allow that to happen? And if we are, what does it look like to know that it is happening? What does spiritual growth and spiritual maturity look like? Wearsby offers four different things. And I want you to kind of put this through the filter of your life. Are you growing as a believer? Are you growing in your faith? Let's look at these together. Number one, Christ-likeness. Does your life reflect Jesus Christ? Think about your last interaction with somebody who wronged you or somebody that just annoyed you. This past Friday night, I was at Wolfpack Stadium in Lincoln, Arkansas, calling the game. Um, There was a commotion in the stands and on the sideline that was not Christ-like at all. Some parents went a little, little nuts there for a few minutes. Someone on the sidelines started yelling back at them, and I'm thinking, Jesus is not being honored at this moment at all, and I'm left sitting in the booth going, is there anything I could do or anything I could say through this PA system that's going to calm the situation? No. <laughs> it was not a great situation. But I want you to think about that time that you've gotten frustrated, that you've felt difficulty in your life. How have you reacted? Have you reacted in a Christ-like manner? Christ-likeness shows up in all sorts of ways at all sorts of times. So I just want to encourage you to evaluate. Am I growing spiritually? It should be reflected in that. Number two is stability. Those that are growing in their faith are stable people. They're solid people. They're rock-solid people. I think about some of the the people here. I think about people at at other churches that have been at over the years past, and those people that are growing in their faith, I could just trust that they were going to be here. They were going to worship. They're going to be solid. They always had 
the biblical answer when I needed to hear that myself and when others needed to hear that. They could easily live out the one another's. So stability is a part of that evidence. The third thing is truth joined with love. Boy, that's important. That's hard, but it's important. God calls us to speak the truth. He tells us to do that, to speak the truth to our family members, to our faith family. He tells us to do that in our communities. He tells us to to be beacons of truth, but it always has to be joined with love. If we cannot show love in those moments, then we are missing the mark. And then finally, the idea of cooperation. How do I know that I'm growing spiritually is that I'm willing to cooperate. It pains me when I hear about churches that get to a point where they can't settle anything. Because I know that they're not, somebody is out of, out of line there. They're not following Jesus, and they're not growing. And they may just be to a point where this is the truth, and this is the falsehood, and that has to split. But God calls us to a point of unity. For us to impact our world, we have to be a unified body of believers. And so uh, we are given the gift of these scripture roles for this building up of the body so that we can in turn be Christ-like, that we can be stable, we can share the truth, join with love, and that we can cooperate and that we can show cooperation and show unity. My favorite example always is a fist, especially doing Taekwondo. I can slap somebody open-handed with my fingers spread across, and it's going to hurt, right? but it's not going to feel the same way if I make a fist, hit you with these two knuckles dead on, it's going to be a big difference of what happens. And when we are unified as a body of believers, when we allow Christ to work in us through our leaders, and then together as a body we grow in him, we can have a much stronger impact. And it could be those two knuckles, boom, God calls us to be unified. Are you allowing God's word and God's people to provide direction in your life? You know, if you listen to our podcast for the church, you're going to hear that at the very tail end. You're going to hear, see it on different things that are printed that will provide direction for life. That is our hope and prayer here. That God's word is doing that, that provide direction for life. That God's people provide direction for life. That God himself provides direction for life. So are we allowing God's word and God's people to provide direction in your life? Or do you find yourself bucking over the idea of someone else having a say in your life? We are very independent people. By nation, we are very independent people. And if we think we are here, all you have to do is move to Texas for a while. And when I was moved there and was in seminary during those, the late 90s, man, here, I, if I'm hurting, I would reach out to my church members and say, hey, can you help me with this? Fiercely independent people in Kilgore, Texas, the community that I lived. Love them, but they're fiercely independent, and they would never ask for help. They would just, you know, expect to do it. This was a small oil town originally, and um, they were just fiercely independent. But God calls us to submit to authorities that are within our life, that God appointed authorities. God wants us to look to others, to his word, for direction, for guidance. 
You know, one of the biggest concepts we have to embrace as Christ followers is the idea of surrender. We are to turn over our lives to Him fully and completely. We are to look at the great gifts in the church and understand that He is seeking our maturity through those God-given gifts of the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers. Those scripture roles are important, and it's important for us to understand that God has given those for our benefit. Are we going to appreciate those gifts, enjoy those gifts, grow because of those gifts? That's what he's calling us to do today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this time together as we've had a chance to study and to know a little bit more about what you want us to do. I just ask in these coming moments, um, these coming days, God, just work through us as a body of believers. Help us to grow in you. Help us to seek you at every turn and use us to love on those around us. Father, forgive us where we fail you. In Christ and we pray. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.